Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording The Bikini Killer, which sounds very disturbing. Today, we are going to be discussing the crimes of serial killer Charles Sabrach, a.k.a. The Bikini Killer, who is known to have murdered at least 10 people in the 1970s and 1980s. And he did this on the hippie trail of South Asia. We're going to go ahead and throw out right now in the beginning that there are a lot of names in this episode that are very hard to pronounce. And we're not just being lazy. We did look them up. We had a lot of trouble finding pronunciations that actually sounded or looked right. So we did the best that we could. Please forgive us. He is suspected of crimes in France, Greece, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nepal, India, Thailand, and Malaysia. (laughs) So he's got a long list of suspected crimes. Is that all, do, does the hippie trail run through all of those countries? No, no, but the crimes he has been convicted of were on the hippie trail. Okay, 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 gotcha. He does have other nicknames, one of them being the serpent. You can call him whatever you want. We will be referring to him as Charles Sabraj. Or Sabraj. Or Charles, what do you think? Uh, Charles, I don't want to say Sabraj. Okay, we're going with Charles today. Because that sounds like something I'm going to butcher halfway through the episode, and then we're going to ugly sister it for the rest of it. And then someone's going to be like, hey, you're pronouncing you that wrong. You switched that name halfway through, and we're going to be like, God fucking damn it. One of our Patreons is going to message us like, hey. And then I'm going to have to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there have been multiple name mispronunciations where I'm like, fuck it. There's no way I can fix that. But it's fine. We're going to start our story with victim number one. And this happens October 1975 in Thailand, and more specifically in Bangkok, where 21-year-old Teresa Knowltown, Teresa had decided to travel through Asia on a path of enlightenment and was headed to Kathmandu to study Tibetan Buddhism at the Copeland Monastery, where she hoped to become a nun. Born in California to Robert and Loretta Knowlton, Teresa was one of four children. There's little information about Teresa's home life or really who she was as a person in general. Which is kind of sad. We really couldn't find a lot of information about her. We know that she was living in Seattle when she traveled to Bangkok in 1975. There are many different versions of what happened to Teresa in October of 1975, but one way or another, the story plays out roughly like this. Teresa checks into Hotel Malaysia and was enjoying being young and free in Bangkok. Because remember, she's going to become a nun. So she's just like having a good time, traveling through Asia. And here's where she would meet Charles and his friend Ajay Chaudhary. Some sources say that they met at a bar, and some say that Teresa attended a party at Charles's house. There's been a few sources that claim Teresa was delivering heroin to them, but I couldn't find anywhere that substantiated that claim. Or even that Teresa was dealing or moving drugs in any way. After becoming friendly, Charles used a ruse to lure Teresa from the Malaysia hotel where she was staying, getting his friend AJ to pick her up and bring her to Pattaya, a beach resort area. Again, gone back and forth on who picked her up, who drove her there, how she got there. Either way, she gets there somehow. 
Charles was known to impersonate a gem salesman, like selling diamonds and jewelry, high-end stuff for, like, really low prices. This is how he lured a lot of people, a lot of tourists. So the following information is taken from an article from London Evening Standard in 1979 by Richard Novell and Julie Clark, where they detail a confession given by Charles on what he did to Teresa the night on the beach. In this interview, Charles claims that he took Teresa to a jungle clearing near the edge of the sea and drugged her before having his friends, Ajay, take Teresa, intoxicated and potentially unconscious, to the water where they threw her in and held her under until she drowned. Why? Why? I don't know. It was on the 18th of October that a farmer found Teresa's body wearing a floral bikini floating in a shallow tidal pool. I couldn't find any information on how she was identified, but initially her death was a suspected accidental drowning until further forensics pointed to injuries consistent with being held under the water by force. According to the Independent UK, two days after her body was found, a woman named Marie-Andre Leclerc cashed Teresa's traveler's checks and... Police either did not catch on to this person who had cashed these checks or the information wasn't found until far later. Keep Marie in mind. Put a pin in that. Keep that. We'll come back to her later. We will come back to her later. Yes. Now, Teresa Knowlton was the first known victim of the so-called bikini killer. But who was Charles Sabraj and what are some of his other crimes? Charles Sabraj was born Hochland Bawani Gurmaka Sabraj. I am sure that all of that was said wrong. He was born on April 6th of 1944 in Saigon. His mother was Vietnamese and his father was Indian, but their relationship was short-lived and his father denied paternity when he was born. When his brother got married to a French army lieutenant in 1959, he took in the boy and renamed him Charles. But Charles states that he felt neglected by his parents and that they favored their other children over him. The family was also frequently on the move, going from South Asia to Europe many times. Okay, so by the time Charles was a teenager, he had already committed petty crimes and received his first prison sentence for burglary in 1963, when he was 19 years old. While serving his sentence in a prison near Paris, he allegedly manipulated officials into giving him preferential treatment. So, around this time, Charles met and befriended a wealthy young prison volunteer, Felix Disconge. Sure. I assume it's French. I'm sorry. Good Good job. Thank you. It didn't. I know it didn't. It was great. It's fucking awesome. When he got out of prison, he moved in with his new friends. That has to be conflict of interest against your parole, right? I will say right now. We are in 1963. I will say right now, too, Charles was very charming. As most fucking serial killers are. Don't trust them. Just don't trust anyone. And yes, I would say it's probably a conflict of interest to move in with your new rich friend that you met while he was volunteering at the prison. Yeah, I agree. This gave Charles a way into the circles of high society in France, all while pulling scams and doing higher and higher scale robberies. 
It was during this time in his life that he began a relationship with a wealthy, upper-class woman named Chantelle Compion, and even proposed to her, though he was arrested later the same day for evading police in a stolen car. How romantic. So romantic. Nonetheless, Chantelle remained supportive through his prison sentence for that crime, and then they married upon his release. Cool. Smart move, Chantelle. By 1970, Charles was an official citizen of France. He was married and had a baby on the way. But that didn't mean everything was going well. In order to escape arrest for yet another crime, the couple fled to Asia, but not before scamming their way through Eastern Europe and stealing from people they befriended along the way. By the end of 1970, the pair had set up in Bombay, Mumbai, Chantelle had given birth to a baby girl, and Charles had, you guessed it, gone back to his life of crime by running a car theft and smuggling operation. Jesus Christ, Charles. In 1973, Charles was busted again for a botched armed robbery attempt on a jeweler's, and he was sent to prison. Though he did manage to escape by faking an illness. I'm sorry. Okay. Guessing he was taken to the hospital because of this illness and then escaped, but it didn't actually say specifically how he escaped. That was my running out of prison, out of the hospital. <laughs> um, Maddie's just literally swinging her arms back and forth <laughs> while sitting here. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? It's him running. <laughs> but it was recaptured shortly after this. He did not get very far. And instead of trying to escape from prison, he borrowed money from his stepfather to make bail and then fled with Chantel and his daughter, to Cabal, where they spent their time robbing tourists on the hippie trail before getting arrested yet again. These guys are really shitty criminals. They really are. Like, you're not doing it well. Find something else to do. You're just not a good criminal. Pick up a different hobby. Different career. Seriously. Time for a career change. So, using the same tactic that he had before, Charles faked an illness and then drugged the hospital guard in order to escape. Wow. So this time he skipped town and went to Istanbul, leaving his wife and child behind. They're honestly, just, they're holding them back. Probably for the wife and child's good. Seriously. If I'm honest. Although, is this child really any better with its mother? I'm not sure. At this point, you would have to imagine that Chantelle is really sick of his shit, and she heads back to France and vows to never see him again. Smart. Now by himself, Charles spends two years on the run. Using stolen passports, he managed to travel while committing many, many more crimes. He was even joined by his half-brother, Andre. But when the pair were arrested, Charles escaped, leaving his brother behind. Andre ended up facing an 18-year sentence in Greece for his part in their criminal enterprise. So his, brother just, his brother just fucking left him. <laughs> See you later, bro. I'm out. Here. Continuing to live his life on the run, Charles was financing his travels by posing as either a gem salesman or a drug dealer to impress or intimidate tourists who he defrauded. Charles gathered followers by gaining their loyalty. A typical scam was to help his target out of a difficult situation. In one case, he helped two former French policemen recover missing passports that Charles himself had actually stolen. Good. In another scheme, Charles provided shelter to a Frenchman who appeared to be suffering from dysentery. Charles had actually poisoned him, though. 
We're just gaining trust by uh, causing issues for people and then fixing them. Exactly. While traveling through India, he met Canadian-born Marie-Andre Leclerc. The two formed a relationship, and Marie became a steadfast supporter of Charles, turning a blind eye to any crimes he committed. And it wasn't long until Charles would also meet his real partner in crime, Ajay Chowdhury. I will also say that there is a neighbor that comes forward of Charles and Marie saying that she felt bad for Marie, that she was a sad and simple person and once told her, I have no passport, no money, and if I try to leave, he will kill me. So something to be aware of, but this neighbor also could have been looking for her 15 minutes of fame because this story was really big. But Marie does participate in his crimes. So whether she's a victim or not... It doesn't surprise me that the women would take part. I know, it's so fucked up, though. It surprises the shit out of me. So, as you heard earlier, Charles and Ajay committed their first murder together in 1975. But there were many, many more to come. Also good to note that there were many victims of his crimes before he even started killing. It was said that he had a disgust for the spoiled white hippie types that were backpacking down the hippie trail, and he would befriend them for a day or two, then drug them and steal their traveler's checks, passports, and there is thought to be as many as 100 victims of this kind of crime from Charles. So he was just like befriending backpackers all over the place and then like drugging them and stealing their shit. Such a dick. Okay, victim number two. The next victim after Teresa was a young nomadic Turkish Sephardic Jewish man named Batali Hakim. And he traveled to Bangkok in late November of 1975. And he was enjoying his holiday while staying at the Malaysia Hotel. Same as Teresa. Mm Mm-hmm. It was while he was reading a newspaper in the hotel lobby that Vitali was approached by two men who are Ajay and Charles. And at this point, it's thought that Charles is going under some other name. Yeah, like at this point, he's using an assumed name or has stolen somebody else's passport and he's not actually going by Charles at this point. After talking, the pair had convinced Vitali to check out of the hotel and into Charles's penthouse apartment. Yeah, that's a horrible idea. Not only is it a horrible idea, but on his visa, on his travel documents, he says that he's at the Malaysia Hotel. So now nobody knows that he didn't stay at the Malaysia Hotel, that he Mm -hmm. actually checked out and went somewhere else. And this is not the last time that Charles does this. Like, Charles is a charming, convincing man. Right. And he convinces people before they even get to their hotel to come and stay with him instead of going to the hotel where... The trace of them disappears, but they're searched for initially at the hotel that they put on their paperwork. Yeah. So after eating and drinking what was offered to him at his new accommodation, Vitali fell ill. Yeah, probably poisoned him. Charles poisoned him. Yep. We're pretty sure that Charles poisoned him. Acting like a gracious host, Charles offered to give Vitali some drugs that would make him feel better. And the trio had set out to look for some gem mines that Charles claimed he was involved with, but 
Only Ajay and Charles returned home again. Vitaly Hakim's neck had been snapped and his burnt body was found on the road to Pattaya Resort, where Charles and his new growing clan were staying. Because remember, he kind of collects people to him. So he kind of has people like following him around. Oh, and this is on the 29th of November. And at this point, no one knew who could have murdered Vitalia. Right. Police have no idea. There's no clues. There's no leads. There's nothing. They just think he's a murder tourist and they don't know who did it. Our next victim is Stefan Perry. So she was actually the French contact of Vitalia the last victim that we talked about. And she had been strangled so violently that her neck was broken. And that takes a lot of strength to do. Yes, it does. Strangling in general is one of, like, it's super hard to strangle someone. We've talked about it on the podcast before. We talked about, like, pretty sure, like, the amount of pressure. I don't fucking remember how much pressure it takes. It's in one of our episodes somewhere. Good luck. Have fun finding it. (laughs) So her body was found in the water not far from the beach, and she was actually wearing a dress, but the media would label her a victim of the bikini killer. And this is because all the other victims are found in bikinis. Is No, it's just, the, it's just there's only... Is it just the first so one? So only one has been found in a bikini so far, but one more is going to be found in a bikini as well. So she just gets roped in with them, and there are even places where she was not on his list of victims. But... I would be very surprised if she is not one of his victims. So, victims four and five. We have Dutch students, Hank Bittenja, who's 29, and his fiancée, Cornelia Hemker, who's 25, from Amsterdam, were invited to Thailand after meeting Charles while traveling in Hong Kong. They, like his previous victims, were poisoned by Charles, who nursed them back to health in order to gain their trust. As they were recovering, Charles was actually visited by Vitalia's French girlfriend, Charmaine Carew, who had come to investigate her boyfriend's disappearance. Fearing exposure, Charles and Ajay quickly hustled the couple out, and their bodies were found strangled and burnt on December 16 of 1975. So not long after Hank and Cornelia were found, Charmaine was found drowned and wearing a similar style swimsuit to that of Charles's first victim. Although the murder of the two women were not connected by investigators at the time, this is what earned Charles the nickname of the bikini killer. Right, so at the time of the murders, They weren't necessarily calling him that because they hadn't connected them. But these two women, Charmaine and Teresa, being found in bathing suits is what got him the nickname. On December 18th, the day the bodies of Hank and Cornelia are identified, Charles and his girlfriend, Marie, enter Nepal using their passports. Yeah. Using Hank and Cornelia's passports. Which is probably why they killed them in the first place. So fucking shitty. Victim 7 and 8, between the 21st and 22nd of December of 1975, they murdered Canadian Laurent Carrari. Fucking A. There's so many hard names in this one. Who was 26, and American Connie Joe Bronzik, 
who was 29 outside of Kathmandu in order to use their passports to return to Thailand. Though while in Thailand, some of his group had begun to suspect him of being a serial killer, and this is why I thought that he left Thailand. Hit the road again? Yep. So Charles's next destination was Calcutta, where he murdered Israeli scholar Avani Jacob to get his passport. And then he used the passport to travel with Marie and Ajay, first to Singapore, then to India, and in March of 1976, returning to Bangkok, despite knowing that authorities were looking to question him about the deaths of five people. The clan was interrogated by Thai police in connection to the murders, but released, and I assume this is because of lack of evidence. And also probably because Charles just charmed his way right out of it. Yeah. Meanwhile, Dutch diplomat Herman Nickenberg and his then-wife Angela Kane were investigating the murders of Henk and Cornelia. Kippenberg had some knowledge and had possibly even met Charles with the help of Nadia and Remy Gears, Charles's neighbor. Kippenberg began to build a case against him. He eventually gave police permission to search Charles's apartment a full month after Charles had left the country. Kippenberg found evidence including victims' documents and passports, as well as poisons and syringes. So, like the reddest of red flags. Okay, not even getting rid of evidence. I know. Why would you not get rid of that stuff? Because he's just not scared of getting caught, I don't think. He should be. He's pretty ballsy. He's he killing everyone that questions him. I don't think he really cares. Next, the trio goes to Malaysia, where Ajay was sent to steal gems. And this was the last time there was ever a confirmed sighting of him. Neither Ajay or his remains have ever been found. And it's widely believed that Charles murdered his friend and accomplice, potentially seeing him as a liability if they were arrested. Maybe thinking he would crack under pressure or turn him in or just was tired of him. Who knows? But there's never been any sign of a J. I would say it's safe to say he is victim number 10 and he is no longer alive. I mean, if he was really smart, then he would have, like, gone on the run from Charles and police, but... He's either on the run, was killed, trying to steal these gems, or Charles killed him. I think Charles killed him. Very plausible. Yep. So in May of 1976, Interpol issued an international warrant for the arrest of Charles, which charged him with four out of five of the murders that he was suspected of committing in Thailand. Meanwhile, back in Asia, Charles had started forming a new criminal group. Of course. Starting with two women, Barbara Smith and Mary Ellen Ether, as well as his girlfriend. Charles's next victim was a Frenchman, Jean-Luc Solomon, who was poisoned during a robbery, and the act was committed with the intention of just incapacitating Solomon, but it ended up killing him. So... I'm not sure why they think it was an accidental killing and why they think he was just trying to incapacitate him. Because he kept all his other victims 
or like nurse them back to health that just doesn't really fit his mo before killing them though yeah it's weird i don't know either way this now makes 11 suspected murders while on the run charles had his stash of passports stolen by a hippie and was probably feeling desperate in July of 1976 when him and his three-woman criminal group ran a scam on a group of French postgraduate students by pretending to be tour guides. And we know how the story goes. Charles drugs them by giving them poisoned pills, which he had told them were anti-dysentery medicine. But when the drugs took effect more quickly than Charles had anticipated, some of the students began to fall unconscious faster than others. You never, you can't poison an entire group of people and expect it to all have the same effect. Yeah, no. Three of the students realized what was happening and they actually overpowered Charles and contacted the police. And he was arrested along with his accomplices. The two women who were kind of new to the group pretty much confessed right away. And Charles is charged for killing Jean Luke in the poisoning gone wrong and his girlfriend Marie kept quiet but they were sent to jail in New Delhi but the story doesn't end there oh no naturally Charles manages to smuggle in some gemstones into prison with him and had started to bribe the officials there and he was living comfortably in prison and when we say comfortably, he was living in luxury. He even had a TV, which in the 1970s and 80s in prison was rare. So when it came to his trial, Charles turned into a spectacle, hiring and firing lawyers at the drop of a hat, bringing in his brother, Andre, who had just been paroled from the 18-year sentence in Greece. If the you one that, that he abandoned him on? Yeah. yeah. Um, to assist in his defense, and he even went on a hunger strike. I love when they do that. Starved to death. And in the end, he was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, just wait. But of course, prison isn't that bad for him, because he had bribed everyone as to basically let him do whatever the fuck he wants. And while serving a sentence, Charles gave frequent interviews to Western media and numerous confections came of these interviews but who knows which ones are true if any of them are he's should be dead he should be dead yeah so in 1977 he met richard neville who was known as a defendant in the oz obscenity trials which involves the publication of a cartoon rupert bear with an erection in his underground magazine it was kind of a big deal, I guess, at the time. He was acquitted and wandered off to New York with a contract in his pocket to do a book about Charles. So while in prison, they met, they chatted. Charles agreed to let him write this book. Allegedly, it gets a little murky. Castrate yourself. Charles had confided in him. I have taken a decision to tell you how I cleaned Teresa and the confession of six other cases. And Nivelle would say that Charles felt safe from extradition at the time, and that's why he confessed to them. How I cleaned Teresa? Cleaned, that's how he put it, yeah, killed her. Cleaned her by putting her in the water, maybe? I'm not really sure. 
The Life and Crimes of Charles Sabraj was published in 1979. There's actually a book. And when Charles was released from prison, he would try to discredit Neville and say that he never killed Teresa or even met her. Because now he's like probably worried that maybe these crimes might come back on him. Oh, shit. Neville would actually go to the dusty tapes that he had with a voice that he claimed to be Charles on it, saying that he had invited Teresa to accompany him to the beach outside of Bangkok, where he drugged her coffee, and at this point she said, Did you give me something because I feel very funny? To which he said, I'm sorry, Teresa, I must tell you, I think I have to do something bad to you. She said, Are you going to beat me up? To which he said, no, something better. This is on tape. Charles also said that when she lost consciousness, Teresa was stripped, put into a bikini, and taken for a swim. And then he chuckles on the tape and says, I hope this stuff won't hang me one day. Castrate yourself. Of course, though, this had repercussions because he wasn't only wanted for murder in India, but Thailand had a 20-year extradition statute, which meant that as soon as Charles would finish his sentence in India, he would be back on trial for the murders that he had committed and now confessed to numerous times in Thailand. And they had the death penalty in Thailand, which he would almost certainly get. So Charles is about to get out of prison right, for serving his 12 years, but is worried about being extradited to Thailand for crimes that he confessed to on tape. But don't worry, in March of 1986, 10 years into his 12-year sentence, he threw a big party in prison for all the guards and his inmate friends, and he drugged them all with sleeping pills hidden in sweets and simply walked out of prison. He's not out for very long before he's arrested and returned to prison. But his sentence is extended another 10 years, which is exactly what police think he wanted. That way, when he got out, the 20-year statute of limitations would be up in Thailand, and they would not be able to extradite him for those crimes. Because he would rather stay in prison here, where all the guards love him and he gets special privileges. So... On the 17th of February, 1997, he's 52 years old. Charles walks out of prison again, but this time as a free man. He would say, I have a lot to do. I have to sue a lot of people. His accomplice, Marie, would also get 12 years, but would be released on appeal under the condition that she remain in India. And in 1983, she would be allowed to return home to Quebec as she was suffering from advanced ovarian cancer, and she would die in 1984 at the age of 38. So unable to be extradited to Thailand, Charles moved back to France and settled in the suburbs of Paris, where he made his living, charging huge amounts of money for interviews and photographs, and a film based on his life was sold for 15 million U.S. dollars. Sick. Can't we just kill these Seriously. People? Then in 2003, he decides that he wants to go back to Nepal, which is a very stupid thing to do because he confessed to killing two people there, and they can still arrest him. According to the Himalayan Times, 
he returned to Nepal to start a mineral water company, but a lot of people speculate that it was because the attention he was getting in France had died down and he wanted more press, which he would get in September of 2003. A journalist for the Himalayan Times spotted Charles in a Kathmandu casino and then followed him for two weeks before publishing an article with photographs. And this would lead the police to actually go and find Charles. Nothing like a reporter being like, hey, we have this criminal living in our country and nobody's doing shit about it. The police reopened their cold case for Connie Bronzik using the evidence gathered by the Dutch diplomat in the 1970s and Charles was sentenced to life in prison for her murder in August of 2004. There were several appeals made by Charles and his first wife Chantelle actually comes back into the picture here and tries to get him legal aid. The one that said she was never going to have anything to do with him again. Of course. But ultimately the conviction is upheld in a 2010 ruling by the Supreme Court of Nepal. He was also convicted in 2014 for the murder of a Canadian tourist, Laurent Carrier, which added a further 20 years to his sentence. And also in 2008, while in prison, he would marry Naida Biswas, a lawyer, and 44 years his junior. Why are people allowed to get married in prison? Please stop letting people get married in prison. Please. I think that it all depends on what you did. He murdered 12 people. He should not be allowed to get married. So in 2016, Charles would tell Vice, I have never murdered anyone. You are speaking about drug addicts. Basically saying he never murdered or poisoned anybody, but they took drugs themselves and that's what happened. I don't know. He sounds like he's fucking nuts. And that's the end of uh, Charles. No. No, if you think this is the end, it is not. (laughs) On the 23rd of December, 2022, I'm going to go murder this man myself. Let me get through this. On the 23rd of December, 2022, yes, you heard that correct. Last year. Charles was released from prison because of old age and good behavior. And it was said that he suffered from heart disease And needs open-heart surgery. And also, Nepalese laws allow inmates who have been exhibiting good behavior to be released after they complete 75% of their prison term. Yeah, uh, Washington is even less than that, by the way. So he's only served 19 years of a life sentence. He was deported from Uh, Nepal. I think he got a life sentence plus 20 years added on to that. Yeah. So he was deported from Nepal back to France and ordered not to return for 10 years. So today he's a free man at 78. Yeah, so until he does something else crazy or dies, that's it. He's These just a free man. These people are taking up resources. Yeah. We need to kill them. I'm sorry, I think that if you commit a crime like robbery, you money laundering, anything like that, drug charges even. Yeah. A- anything like that. I would say even like armed robbery and shit like that. Yeah. I would say you can be in prison. You can be released. You can change. You can get married. You can you can get married in prison. Yeah. You could you have a conjugal visit. Sure. sure. Yeah. You committed money laundering, sold some drugs. Yeah. You can do whatever like Yeah. But murder. Murder? Rape? 
rape, child crimes, dead. dead. You should be yeah. dead. Yeah. You shouldn't be able to be released. No. No. Yeah. Rehabilitation. Not I, possible. I don't think it's possible in some circumstances. Now, maybe you murder somebody in a bar fight. Maybe that's different, right? That's different. That's different. That's different. But you're out there murdering, like, a dozen people. Dead. You should be dead. Seriously. Okay, we're going to click over to Bunker Talk. You accidentally kill someone. Maddie is not done with this yet, but I don't want to subject everybody to it. Come and support us on Patreon. Come and see us on our social media. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're curious. Does anybody think that Charles is done? Is he going to continue his life of crime? If he can. If he can. 100% he will. Yeah, so... Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. What I don't understand is why you would prefer people to call you, because to me, that's like the worst thing ever. Maddie and I are just sitting here talking about, like, getting phone calls versus text messages. I hate texting. I hate calling. I hate it. It gives me anxiety to answer my phone. Even if I know who's on the other line. You know what doesn't give me anxiety, though, is FaceTime for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe because... well, I like... As in me saying I like phone calls, I mean I like FaceTime. Oh, that's totally different to me. No one actually calls me. Yeah, because that's fucking weird. No one ever calls me. Okay. If I get a phone call, like an actual phone call, I'm like, first of all, it's always scam. No one calls me. Okay. Everybody FaceTime. I was like, me. don't you, text look, you me. You want people to call you? What? You're a monster. Like, what the fuck? I get it now. Okay, FaceTime. FaceTime. The only people who FaceTime me, though, anyway, are you and my sisters. I have found that if you put an ultimatum, people will FaceTime you. My father FaceTimes me. <laughs> that, because that you ma- won't answer his messages? Yeah, so he FaceTimes me. I told him. I looked him dead in the face one time when he was like, you don't answer my text. And I was like, FaceTime me. Don't text me. Oh, my God. FaceTime I'm going to start FaceTiming your dad. <laughs> do it. I Well, I literally started FaceTiming. He goes, why the fuck do you always FaceTime me? Should we FaceTime him right now? <laughs> They're so nice nonstick. It's amazing. I haven't had, I haven't cooked on nonstick pans in years because I never did any. Our pans are horrible. They stick so bad. They're like but the I cute refuse... stainless steel ones. Well, they're like the Costco ones, though. I thought buying the Costco pots and pans would be good pots and pans. No, everyone thinks that. My bosses have the same pans, and she thought the same thing. They're cute. They're yeah. all metal. She was like, "Oh my god, yes." Oh my God, no. They stick so bad. But I refuse to spend money on new pots. So we've just had them for like 10 years. You know what I can do with my, you know, the stainless steel ones? I have to wash, like, if I, because I run my pots and pans through the dishwasher. Yeah. Because I'm a menace to society, according to what I'm sure my mother thinks about running pots through the dishwasher. Well, the only reason I don't run pots through the dishwasher is because there's always shit stuck to them and it doesn't come off in the dishwasher. So the stainless steel ones, I have to run through the dishwasher twice. You have to, like, Run it through the dishwasher to soften it up, scrape it off, and then run it again. <laughs> like, yes, I know. It's horrible. I've had to do My that. My stainless steel ones, I burnt some fucking asparagus onto it, came right off. Oh, I just burnt. Well, I didn't burn asparagus. I burnt like butter and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just burnt uh, garlic and butter with uh, when I made Brussels sprouts, and that sat for like, 
an entire day before I could scrape it off. Yeah, see, all I got to do is, like, rinse it and then throw it in the dishwasher and it comes right off. Fuck. I need new pots. So bad. It's, like, so far down on my list of, like, essential things that I want to get, though. I didn't even know. We had, like, the cheap, cheap-ass stainless steel ones. Mm-hmm. Like, the $30 pan set that you get. <laughs> From Target? Like, the I, Target? Or the Walmart yeah, pan set? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And they were horrible. I burnt everything because the heat is just, like, the heat goes right through. The pot sucks, like, yeah. every, all, every... Our pots also get, like really 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 hot. hot yeah yeah so the stainless steel ones it's way easier for me to cook multiple things at the same time because shit doesn't burn to it even if i like fuck up and like my noodles get stuck to the bottom a little bit they like come right off yeah that is not the case for me i dread our pots and pans also an egg pan makes me homicidal i literally see an egg pan and i'm like who could I murder today that nobody would miss? Okay, so like, I, there's got to be somebody that I could just like fucking murder right now to feel better about having to clean this egg pan that nobody would miss. I actually don't make eggs myself because I don't want to clean the egg pan. I need our listeners to be very honest here. I want to know because via my experience with observing married people, how many of you have had a argument or a marriage issue or any type of thing that has to do with an egg pan because I truly believe that within every marriage there's like there's a deal an egg, breaker there's like an no no not, not a deal breaker an egg pan issue oh I'm thinking like a deal breaker that will make you like kill your spouse is oh, that not where we're going with no this? that wasn't where I was going oh, but that okay. can be our next question okay. that can be the next one my first one is how many people have had a problem with their spouse you with know an what egg I pan? hear so I've heard like, from people I know that are married. Like, dirty clothes being left on the ground mm-hmm. is a really big thing, which I can't imagine. I'm not a kid <coughs> anymore. I Hold don't on. throw my laundry on the ground anymore. Why does this, Why does a grown man throw his laundry on the ground? Well, I think it's not just men. Sometimes it's women. I think it's, like, in the bathroom. You take your clothes off to get in the shower, and then you don't, for some reason, pick up your dirty clothes right away. And I've actually heard, like... People say they've considered murdering their spouse because of dirty socks, like next to the bed or in the bathroom. So what's the number one, what's the number one complaint? What is it that gets you guys feeling homicidal? Is it egg pans? Is it dirty socks? Is it what? What, what is it? Because I can't think of anything else that I've heard from people that like makes them crazy. Can you think of anything else? Snoring. Does does snoring send you over the edge? Um, I don't know. I just feel like every... Is every, it crumbs in the bed? Like, what is it? That's it? Also, why the fuck are people eating in bed? Can I you eat, explain that to me? I eat in bed. You do? Yeah. I do not eat in when bed. When I'm stoned out of my mind, well, laying in bed okay. watching TV before bed? I think twice I've eaten popcorn in my bed. But not like under the covers, not like where I, I would get on my under sheet. the covers. Last oh my night. god! And I also ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> in bed. An uncrustable, actually. I didn't even. That's so funny. I'm not a big like late night snacker though, probably because I'm not sitting around getting high. So that's where my that. night snacking comes from. So I can't. <laughs> there, there's no, there's no excuse. There's no other explanation. <laughs> so yeah, can we compile a list? Like everybody. Comment on this episode. What is the top? What are the top things? 
that strain your marriage? Besides, like, finances and cheating. Like, we that's, like, a big thing. We right? don't give a shit we about that. We don't give a shit about that. We want to know what stupid, idiotic, little tiny things make you want to kill your spouse. Can we help you? Oh, you can do that later. Don't worry. Yeah. Thank you. She's painting a gnome house. And apparently she read the directions. Who the fuck reads the directions on painting something? Mm. And the first direction tells her to fill it with moss and rocks first before painting it. And she's like, um, do I have to do that? That's she's why like, I can't not follow we direction. just got interrupted because her craft while we're recording today to keep her busy is to paint this little gnome house that we bought. And she read the directions. It's a weird thing for a seven-year-old to do. I would have read the directions. It's literally just paint and paint a paintbrush. That's it. I also would have read the directions as a seven-year-old. It's just a ceramic house like a little gnome like a mushroom house it's a little ceramic mushroom house yeah well maybe you have to do something i don't know like she read the what? directions like put moss and rocks in it before yeah. you paint it <laughs> like fucking put moss and rocks in it why would you do that before you paint it that's stupid anyway i literally i'm running out of crafts for her to do because she cannot handle being bored i'm like why don't you watch some cartoons she's like i don't want to i'm like fuck be a normal kid and like just be lazy and do nothing. And no, she needs to have something to do at all times. I need more crafts. I need more shit for her to do. Get her crocheting. I have seen those little cute, like, animal crochet things that you can make. And they mm -hmm. send, like, all the, the stuff. They're kind of expensive, though. Yeah. It's annoying. Because crocheting is really popular right now. Is it trendy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He allegedly manipulated officials into giving him preferential, tr preferential, preferential, preferential treatment. Yep. He allegedly manipulated officials into giving him preferential, preferential, preferential. Oh my God. Preferential. 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 I swear to God, you're saying different shit. I swear <laughs> to fucking God. I swear. Preferential. If I find out you're fucking with me. I'm not fucking with you. I've said it the same every time. I swear to God, you haven't. I have. Okay. Fuck. Okay, so he allegedly manipulated a... So you're lying he Preferential. <laughs> Preferential. Preferential. Edit that together. Make it God sound good. It. I don't know what the fuck to do with that. <laughs> I can't say it in one sentence. 